More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am your host, Kelly, and oh my goodness, I'm kind of taking a breath right now for the first time in a few days. It has been really crazy here in South Florida this past week as we were preparing for what we thought might be a hit from Hurricane Dorian, but at least in Miami-Dade County where I live, uh, thankfully we got some wind, got a little bit of rain but nothing compared to what it could have been and what the Bahamas did get. And oh my goodness, if you are a praying person, definitely keep the Bahamas in your prayers. I know there's a lot of relief efforts that are going on right now that we can all contribute to and be a part of. And it's just heartbreaking seeing what uh, the devastation can be. And that's all, you know, every time a hurricane is on its way, it's like you get that feeling like, oh, please do not hit us. And then You know, there's such a sigh of relief when a hurricane doesn't hit us directly, but at the same time, it usually means it's going to be hitting someone else. And unfortunately, all those little islands in the Bahamas, uh, it's just been crazy. And my heart is kind of just hurting for people and everything that they've gone through. And, And it's crazy, like the storm itself, terrifying. The aftermath is so awful, Uh, sometimes not even a roof over your head and not knowing where your next meal is coming from or if you have a house to live in. So that's definitely been in uh, my heart uh, pretty heavy these last couple of days, but definitely thanking God that uh, we did not have to deal with too much from Hurricane Dorian. And then I feel bad, like hashtag first world problems. Um, I hate the fact that it's hard to get a tank of gas and that bread sells out of the stores and, you know, Instacart's not delivering. And then I feel really bad that I complain about those things. But I know uh, we all have things in our lives that we complain about. And then we see, goodness, um, other people have it really bad. So definitely praying for all the folks who were, Uh, massively affected by Hurricane Dorian. Well, I am ready to dive into episode four of Survivor Sanctuary, and I'm super excited about today's guest. She is a person who's one of the advocates that I first started seeing like pop up online in different places when I first started healing from sexual abuse. And so I've been following Ashley Easter for quite a while, and I'm just super excited for you to get to hear some of Ashley's heart, and I'm excited to hear from her. One of the things I love about Ashley is that she's so inclusive of people who don't necessarily have the exact same political leanings as she does, or maybe they're not in the same denomination, but she's a person who just has a heart for people and just loves people, and I appreciate that so much about Ashley. And I'm excited to dive right in and chat with her about some great things that she's got coming up, including the Courage Conference, which I'm going to be at next month. And you can find links in the show notes to all things Ashley. So let's dive right in. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me here on Survivor Sanctuary. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here on the podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. The second I started the podcast, which was not very long ago, 
You were the one of the first people on the list for people that I wanted to talk to on Survivor Sanctuary. So I'm really excited that you're able to join me. Oh, I'm honored to hear that. So uh, for people who are listening to the podcast who may not know who Ashley Easter is, I mean, there I feel like there are so many, I don't want to say labels, but there's so many things you do. It's like you do all the things. You're an advocate, a writer, a speaker, a conference leader, a coach. I saw that you're like a TV producer. You're like everything. So we'll get into some of that for sure, because it's all super fascinating. But I kind of wanted you to just introduce yourself to our listeners, and maybe people who aren't familiar with your background or your story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you um, again. And yeah, you kind of gave like a overview of my bio. So I don't have to go over that part. So I'll just kind of like jump in and give you like a nutshell version of my story. So you can know where I'm coming from. So I grew up in um, something a, a group that I would identify as a cult. Personally, I believe it was a cult. Um both of my grandfathers were pastors in independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, and I grew up in one of those churches. So it was very, very strict, very patriarchal. Um, men always had power and control over women in the home, church, and if they had their way, it would even be in society. Uh, very legalistic, um, lots of purity culture stuff, and um Honestly, when I look back and compare it to even mainstream evangelicalism, it was a bit a bit extremist, I would I would characterize it as. On top of that, I was also homeschooled and homeschooling can be an awesome choice for some people, but it can also be an avenue to really isolate people from the world if it's not done well. And my experience was it was an isolating experience. So basically my social group was this one church and a few select people outside of the church who are homeschool families who also thought very similarly and went to very similar styled churches. So really locked off from the greater society. So the way I describe it like is like this, you know, there's the homeschooling movement and you have like a bunch of small movements inside. One of those movements is the patriarchy movement, which it's exactly what it sounds like. Men have power and control over women. Um, and that is presented from like a biblical basis. Inside of the patriarchy movement, you have another smaller movement that I was a part of called the quiverful movement. Basically, it's taking this verse out of context from Psalms where it says children are like arrows and a mighty man's quiver. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And the idea was you would have these masses of children and then you would shoot them out into the world like arrows and they would sink into different sectors of society like the home and the church, but also schools and government and media and pretty much any spheres of influence. Then you would basically through overpopulation, you know, you maybe have 10 children, those 10 children have 10 children, those 10 children have 10 children. The goal really was like world domination through this um, population, overpopulation with this quote unquote Christian patriarchal message. And I think when we look in politics, I personally can see different people in politics that I think actually are from that movement. Um, but anyway, that was my background. So un not surprisingly, there were lots of forms of abuse, from abuse in relationships and, um, you know, of course, the emotional and spiritual abuse. And it really wasn't until 
I uh, broke free um, ideologically at 21 and then physically when I got married at 22 that I really was able to leave that environment. Um, and then that process of leading and questioning and pursuing just really an ethic of equality that helped me understand the abuses better and then really jump into things like the courage conference and, you know, all the other types of work that I'm doing for survivors. Thank you for that. Cause you explained some things that I had had heard of, but I hadn't dug really deep into the research. Um, Cause quiverful is something I hear about. And I come from a similar background uh, in that my dad was a fundamental independent Baptist pastor for a good portion of my life and, and a missionary and they only had five kids, so they didn't get quite to the 10. Yeah, we only had five, but other families had like 14. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have, have met some families that, that did that as well. But um, I'd never, I guess the quiverful movement is something I actually hadn't, I hadn't heard it defined in that way. So thanks for that. That's, that's a lot of really good info. Yeah, absolutely. So I see how like you changed ideologically and then you get married. So how did you get started in advocacy? Like what was it that lit this fire in you to speak out on behalf of abused people? Well, you know, it was really earth shaking for me when I started being confronted with, you know what, other people believe differently. And it was really the tipping point for me was equality theology, um, because I've still um, remained in the faith, though my faith looks vastly different. (laughs) I would identify more as a progressive, maybe a liberal Christian at this point. Um, but realizing that, you know what, God loves women just the same as men, women can, you know, aspire to these roles. Um, and then looking at that power, those power structures, and then beginning to realize some of the abusive experiences that I'd had, those two things combined, um, just realizing the depth of abuse, not only that I had experienced in many forms, but also seeing so many other people experiencing it too. And, um, I started talking about the abuses I'd experienced and, um, you know, writing about abuse and healing and those types of things. And I just had like hundreds of people reaching out to me saying, you know, they'd experienced similar things. They'd experienced abuse in the church. They'd experienced churches trying to cover up the abuse. And the common thread was like, they felt so alone. They felt so isolated. They thought they were the only ones. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, they're not alone because I have hundreds of them saying like the exact same thing almost. So um, I was like, you know, we, we've got to get in the same space and have this conference so people can know and feel that they're not alone. And so that's when we, you know, brought in the inspirational and educational speakers, survivors, advocates, professionals. And um, it was just really out of this, there's, a, there's this big gap and somebody has to fill it. And I feel like it's supposed to be me. So I'm just going to do this thing. And then everything just kind of came about after that. I kept writing about the topic of abuse. I kept um, being contacted by survivors and connecting them with resources. Eventually that morphed into things like the For Such a Time as This rally, where we're protesting abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, Uh, one of the largest um, denominations in the world, um, talking to media about these things. And I guess it just kind of, it just kind of exploded once um, 
I realized like there are so many of us like this out here and I need to be able to have a platform where those people can feel safe and connect to each other. That's awesome. And I know like, honestly, when I first started dealing with my own story of abuse, you are one of the first names that I saw out there as far as people who were in advocacy. And, you know, it took me a really long time to actually begin to deal with what had happened to me as a child. And just to unpack all of that, when I finally like dove right in, there were like two or three of you advocates who I was able to read things that you wrote and, and see things that you were doing. And it was really, I can say from personal experience, like it was so helpful in, you know, when you're trying to get on that road and find healing. And I, I felt the same way in my community, I'll say, as as what you just expressed. Like it feels like there are all these people asking questions or I need answers personally and there's like nothing out there. So you you want to bridge the gap somehow. And that's, right, right. I, I feel like a lot of survivors have a similar path in that, you know, once we start that healing process, it's like you realize what's missing for other people who are, have survived abuse and you kind of want to help in any way that you can. So I wanted to say a lot of what you've done. It was definitely something that helped me when I started to heal. And the Courage Conference, because you mentioned it, is something that I I have watched from afar for the last several years and have really wanted to go. But this year it's in Orlando. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Courage Conference? Because I, I want everybody to know exactly what it's all about and, and what they can expect if they attend. And I'm super excited to be attending for the first time this year. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be attending too. Like, it's going to be awesome. Um, if you're a hugger, come by and give me a hug. Um, I am. But, okay, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, so the Courage Conference, it's um, it's really just an amazing event. And I don't say that because I made it. I say it because like, there's just awesome people that come, um, from our speakers, you know, we've got like this incredible lineup of speakers who are survivors, who are experts in their field, who just have different perspectives on, you know, advocacy and on healing. So whether you are a survivor looking for a community and wanting to hear, you know, talks on healing and, you know, just people who get it, you're going to enjoy it. Or if you're maybe a little bit further in your healing or you're an advocate or you want to be an advocate, you can also come and be educated because there's this dual part of like the, the healing conversations and the education going on at once. We have tables with resources to connect you with resources. Our workbooks are always full of you know places where you can reach out for additional support. Um, this year, we're bringing back workshops. Some of the years we've done workshops. And one other year, actually, we've done workshops. And by popular demand, people are like, we want like a small, intimate space to actually be able to converse with the speakers. Um, so we will have the keynotes, but we also have some really great breakout sessions that are going to be happening. And what I love about this conference is we kind of center around the conversation of people who have been abused in faith communities or people who love those who've been abused in faith communities, but everybody's really on a different journey. So we have people who are conservative. We have people that are liberal. We have people that are Christian. We have people who, you know, are, you know, not Christian or are questioning. And it's not like this one size fits all box that you have to fit in to be comfortable at this conference. It's like, we respect that you have your own journey and path and what we're all bonding on is like, we've had a similar traumatic experience and we all want to heal. 
And so like, let's just get in the same room and feel that not aloneness and hear, you know, amazing speakers connect with each other and, you know, figure out how we can move forward and how we can help other people. And I don't know, I hope you can hear the excitement in my voice because I'm just so excited and it's going to be in Orlando this year. So like if you come early, you can go to Disney World ahead of time, or if you stay late, you can go to the beach. Um, so it's a great destination, and I'm super excited. It's it's gotten better and better every year, and I just have a good feeling about this year. Okay, details, details. Um, Orlando, Florida, uh, October 25th and 26th. Currently, I don't know when this is going to be published. We have a couple of optional leadership event tickets that's like on the 27th for like a small intimate group of like advocate leaders people stepping into advocacy work but the main event is october 25th and 26th orlando florida and then thecourageconference.com is where you can get details and tickets and yeah please come you you won't regret it I'm so excited. I cannot wait. And I will also link to your your website and the Courage Conference website as well in the show notes so that people can find it. And I just, when I saw, like, I can't even tell you when I saw it was going to be in Orlando, how excited I was. Because I've been a little bit jealous, a little jealous the last few years when I'm like, haven't been able to make it on the date. And not that, not that you're that far away from Florida, but... But I'm super excited that it's going to be there. And I will say that um, I live in Miami, so traveling to Orlando for Disney is fun. But I don't think I've ever been as excited to go to Orlando for anything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. I think it's going to be really great. And I, I want to encourage uh, my listeners, definitely, if you can make it to the Courage Conference, I think it is going to be something that you will remember forever that's definitely going to be something super positive in your life and in your healing journey. So speaking of healing journeys, you wrote a book. I mean, you seriously, like, I don't know where you find the time to do all this stuff, but The Courage Coach, A Practical Friendly Guide on How to Heal from Abuse. I love that you say friendly guide because sometimes healing from abuse doesn't feel all that friendly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I wrote the book not as like, um, and all encompassing, like you will know every single thing you need to know about abuse that is available on the planet, but more like a book that I wish I had had when I was realizing that I was coming out of like abusive experiences. I was like, whoa, is this abuse? I think this is abuse. Like what's, oh my goodness, how do I process this? Who can I trust and who can I talk to? What kind of help is offered to me? So it's a quick read. And I really did want to emphasize it being like a friendly guide because it doesn't feel really academic. It's just like plain language, like real talk. Okay, so you've experienced abuse. Now what? And just like some practical steps on how to, you know, begin your healing journey. And um, really, it was just kind of written because I was like, wow, I I wish that I'd had something like that. And I don't want anybody else to come to the realization of like, I've been abused. Now what? Without like a resource out there. So that's, that's why I wrote the book. Right. And I think that those are usually like the best resources. It's something that you've been through yourself. And then I, I don't know. I mean, if it's, you said that it's the same for you, but that's exactly how I felt. Like, I wish that I'd had something like that 
back in the day, you know, when I started, when I started healing and you, you realize there are all these really great resources and then the fact that you put them together and it's something that's, it's easy to read, you know, you don't have to have a PhD in anything. I, I like that about it as well. So I'm going to link, well, obviously to your website, so they'll be able to find um, that, but I'll link to the Courage Coach, uh, specifically that book in the show notes. So I read something that you wrote. I think it was a comment of yours online. And you said something to the effect of like when you were a kid in the independent fundamentalist Baptist church, people were always like begging God for revival. And you said that you think that the church too and me too movement is the revival that we were praying for. And that like stopped me in my tracks. Like I thought that was pretty amazing. But can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that, that hit me about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, because as a independent fundamentalist Baptist girl, like we had those revival services, you know, we had the white tents, you know, outside with the straw and the sawdust and all that stuff. And, you know, you'd have these traveling evangelists coming in and they were like begging God for revival and doing all the coercion conversions and all that kind of manipulation talk. But at the base of it, I think there were people that knew there was something that was not right with the world and they wanted a change. And the words that they used for articulating that was, we're praying for revival. And in my mind as a child, the picture that was painted for me and what I believed was like really kind of what we were trying to do uh, with the quiverful movement where you're like, dominating this culture with this patriarchal message and bringing people back to like the 1940s or something. Um, (laughs) But as I've, you know, hopefully matured and had some more life experience and have seen that the evil in the world isn't so much that people have a little bit of a different view or maybe they vote a little bit differently or, you know, maybe they love different people that we weren't expecting them to love, but it's more of these um, power structures where people are being abused and where they are being discriminated against. And when we talk about like the principalities and powers in the Bible, I really think that's like these patriarchal structures that are oppressing people and that are causing the abuse. And so as I've seen the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement take off where survivors are raising their voices and change is happening where we are combating these power structures. I see that as revival. It's not what we expected. It's not what we thought was going to happen. Maybe it's not even what we were trying to pray for, but I think it is revival. And the thing that has just kind of blown my mind is as I've looked at revival history, whenever you look at revival history from the Old Testament or even into um you know, American history, it's almost always been led or at least co-led by women. So like Hilda in the Old Testament, she led like the greatest revival in um, Israel's history. When the scrolls were found, she preached this amazing sermon and like revival came to the land. And then when we um, talk about the revival, like the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening in the U.S., like It was women who were preaching. Yes, there were some men too, but it was women and women of color. They were talking about injustices. They were talking about ending slavery, um, all these things. And so when I see like this trajectory, what the 
key factors are of revival. And I look at the Me Too movement. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, this is revival. <laughs> this is so surprising, but here it is. And my challenge would be like, you either need to get on board or you're going to be left behind because this is what God's doing right now. And if you miss the train, you miss the train <laughs> kind of thing. Like this is what's happening now. And, you know, just be ashamed if you prayed for this your whole life. And then when it appears, you, you know, reject it and kind of like ignore the movement of the spirit. To me, revival was always like this, like we're going to be so much holier than we used to be when there's revival. It was always like some sort of outward, okay, I'm going to sin so much less. I'm going to think less bad thoughts. I mean, it was always something like that that was revival. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing right now, it's like, it's crazy to me just the difference in the last two, three years before Me Too, I remember it was maybe a couple of months into my like healing process where I'd really started to tackle everything. And I just remember being like, I want to write about this and I want to talk about this. And I got so like discouraged because people just didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to talk about the problem of sexual abuse within the church. It was a huge and is a huge problem. And it was just something I got super frustrated. I mean, okay, like, call me easily discouraged, but I got really frustrated. And I was just like, you know what, God, like nobody cares about this, you know? And I'm like, make people care about this. Like people need to care about this. And it was like, I I guess the right time to begin healing for me, because it was very soon after that just story after story started coming out and me too started to gain momentum and then church too. And, and it's like, now we're at least having these conversations out in the open. And I think that in addition to bringing change to churches, it really is giving people an opportunity to not wait 30 years to talk about their abuse. Um, Or if they did wait that long to finally have like an outlet to speak up and, and to speak out. And on that note, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the For Such a Time as This rally. I know that it, it's over for this year, but can you, I mean, we could probably spend like six months talking about the <laughs> the Southern Baptist Convention and some of the issues, but can you just tell us a little bit about that rally and what it's all about and, and maybe some ways that people can find some more information or, or try and get involved a little bit? Yeah, so I have to give the credit for birthing the For Such a Time as This rally to Cheryl Summers. She is our fearless leader, and she really had this idea. She asked me to come on and you know support her in it, and I've been the spokesperson for the For Such a Time as This rally for the last two years, but definitely want to give credit where credit's due. She like birthed this baby and is the leader, but I will say that the way – Uh, for such a time as this rally came about is really there has been abuse and abuse cover-ups in the church as a whole for hundreds of years, but the Southern Baptist Convention for, for many, many years and people have known about these abuses and these cover-ups and even some of the leaders that have been taken out of power positions like Paige Patterson, like there were recordings of him dismissing abuse and making light of abuse in sermons. And it wasn't until just the last couple of years that people actually started taking it seriously, that media began reporting on it. But there's been this, um, this sickness in the Southern Baptist Convention and honestly in the church as a whole, but that's what the rallies focused on the SBC. And 
there was just a lot of these stories coming to light and actually getting light in the media and people were hearing the stories and um, Cheryl Summers was just like, you know, I feel like someone needs to do something about it. Like, where's the rally? And there was no rally. And so she was like, I better have a rally. You know, we need to let the SBC know that we're not okay with this and things need to change. And so our first rally was last year and, um, we were in Houston, Texas and, um, we had this rally and, you know, you talk about on social media, you get a lot of support, but actually having the people there in person holding the signs and having our speeches against abuse and against cover-ups and calling out the leaders of the SBC for the cover-ups, like there was just so much power in that moment. And our small band of people that first year was pretty well outnumbered by the media that came. And so, you know, we've got about, I don't know, 20, 25 people who came to hold signs and to, you know, participate in the speeches. And then you've got this massive media and they all want to hear our side of the story. And so we are able to leverage this moment to talk about survivor stories, to talk about the cover-ups, to talk about the changes we want made. Like we want a database to track these predators. The SBC knows who they are. Let's write it down and make that, you know, information accessible to church leaders and church attenders and um you know other things like respecting women there's so much patriarchy in the sbc and and other things um you know the debate the database respecting women and then you know educating clergy people before they become clergy so mandatory training for clergy and seminary students so we were calling for these things and then so that was last year and then we were attempting to, you know, speak with the leaders of the SBC throughout the year after the rally, because we got so much attention. Um, Unfortunately, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention has refused to meet with our rally. He sent people underneath him to speak with us, but it ended up being a situation where I feel like they were more out to mine information rather than create lasting change. That's my opinion. Um, And then the Houston Chronicle story hits and there's like so many more abuse stories. And that was like, I think January of this year. And that just explodes. And there's more and more and more abuse stories, more people coming out about SBC abuse and in the missions field. And so we have our next rally um, this past summer. And what was a small band last year, at one point, we had like about 130 people around us um, at our rally and it was live streamed by the local media. I mean, do you know how much you have to pay to get live stream anything in the media? And they just did it because they wanted to listen to these survivors speaking and not a lot of change. Um, there's a lot of surface talk, but I think that the structures and the things that really will make a difference haven't changed. There's no database, Um, They refused to let certain survivors have opportunities to speak. They wouldn't allow our rally to pass up flyers inside the convention center. So there's still a lot of resistance and work to do, but I was inspired with seeing the survivors together and the advocates together and that we can really make international press, which causes heat to continually be on the organization, which forces them to take safer steps in the future. 
it starts so small. And sometimes you might have had people in churches who have been trying to speak up for years. The problem is without social media and then without like media coverage. And when it's just one person, it's so easy to kind of silence them or, you know, lead them in a different direction. And here's why you shouldn't, you know, be talking about this. And I feel like now it's that force of people coming together where even if they start off slow, they're not going to be able to continue to ignore what's happening. You know, they're not going to be able to continue to sweep everything under the rug when all these people are kind of like woke to what's happening and are questioning it now. And I think it's super important. And you know that, like the Southern Baptist Convention is is the biggest like denomination, but I feel like the the database for uh, people who have abused in any way, you know, should be something that's across all denominations. Like I don't think that there's any excuse for not keeping a list of the names of people who have done these atrocious things because you're getting people that are going from church to church. Just okay, I can't abuse here anymore because I've been found out. So let me just skedaddle two blocks over to a different church or one state over and just keep doing the same thing. So, And then when they get caught too many times in the U.S., then they're like, oh, let's ship them overseas. And then they can abuse people of color and that kind of thing. So just, yes. No, it's crazy. Um, all, all of the issues and all the abuse is horrible. The cover-ups, I feel like, are just as horrible. And in some cases, even more because you have people with, you know, responsibility to to help the vulnerable. And in so many cases, we're just not doing that. It comes down to obviously institutional self-protection and, you know, we don't want to talk about anything. We don't want anything in the media. We don't want anybody to know anything so that we can continue to do whatever we want. So I I like seeing the rallies. I haven't been able to be a part of them yet, but I, I hope to in the future. And that's, that's really good work. So this podcast is, is all about, um, surviving sexual abuse and the hope that churches can become a safe sanctuary for survivors of sexual abuse. And I think that one big theme with a lot of survivors is that we can't really go to the church to be ministered to. And I feel like some people get offended when I say that, you know, because they're like, wait, why are you trashing the church? And it's not it's not to say that like you can't send somebody to church for spiritual help, but if someone is a survivor of sexual abuse and they're like, I don't know where to turn. I just need a community of people to surround me with love and I'm not sending them to a church. And so that's something that that's really the heart behind this podcast is the hope that that can change. And so in everything that you've seen and all the work that you do, what do you think the church can do to better minister to survivors of sexual abuse? I think two things. One is they need to get educated on this. They really need to understand what abuse is because a lot of pastors will say, oh yeah, if somebody was abused in my church, I would handle it the right way. I would report to the police. But when somebody reports abuse, they don't recognize it or they minimize it because they don't understand what abuse is or they don't believe that it could be perpetrated by this great man of God or this godly husband or this, you know, child care worker that's been trusted for years. Um, so I think education needs to happen, not just on what abuse looks like, but also the power structures that enable abuse. So patriarchy, um, men having power and control over women, or just hierarchical structures in general, where you have this 
like leader at the top or even a small group of leaders. Um, and then people underneath that don't have a say when something bad happens, their voices aren't heard equally. They aren't, they aren't taken care of. They aren't protected. They aren't listened to. Um, so just understanding those power structures and how it relates to abuse, because abuse is always without exception, motivated by a lesser power and control. These hierarchical patriarchal rules and regulations and setups of church, you know, are opening the door wide for abuse and making it easy to excuse it. Predators know that and predators come to churches because they know um, that people there are easy targets. So education, understanding all those things is, you know, a big, big deal um, about it. But also the church needs to know what their limitations are. So part of being educated is knowing like, this is what I can do and this is what I need to refer out. Um, so if somebody comes to you, a pastor in your church office, and they have like a severed leg, it's like hanging on by a thread. You are not going to say, oh, sit down in my counseling chair. Let's slap a few Bible verses on that and we'll get you fixed right up. Um, no, you would call 911, you get an ambulance there and you'd help them get to a qualified professional to take care of that leg. And, you know, if that victim of that trauma wanted you to come right along and, you know, support them in encouraging prayer or check up on them, make sure they're okay, make sure that you have people visiting, you know, if, if that trauma survivor wants that, then that's great. But we see churches doing like the exact opposite when it comes to abuse trauma or um, even mental health, you know, trauma, emotional abuse. They try to fix the traumas and the abuse in their counseling chair when they have no qualifications to do so. They try to slap a few Bible verses on it, guilt and shame, um, whether that's intentional or not pray about it, you know, forgive and forget, go back and submit all these things um, when they should be referring out to a professional therapist, when they should be reporting to the police. And then if that abuse survivor wants to have their um, supportive prayer, their encouragement and their, you know, warm check-ins, then that's, that's great. But churches really need to understand abuse better and also understand their limitations better, have good connections with community resources so they can refer out. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. Because um, in too many in too many cases, I mean, you either have churches doing absolutely nothing or sometimes you have people like kind of leaving their lane. They're, they're trying to, to help in a way they just don't know anything about it. And the, probably one of my biggest pet peeves is scripture like Band-Aids that Oh, you know, you have like major depressive disorder. Well, haven't you read the scripture that tells you to have joy in the Lord or something like that? <laughs> right. Because if somebody has a toothache, you're not going to be like, well, I mean, you shouldn't have that because Jesus is the answer. I think that they believe that brain trauma, brain injuries, um, traumatic injuries to the brain um, are the same as spiritual, you know, needs. And those are actually quite different just because it's not as easy to see that an abuse has caused a change in the brain that needs help from a specialized therapist or psychologist doesn't mean that it's not there and that there's not a scientific mental health medical need 
um, to pay attention to. Um, it's not just your spiritual soul and spiritual abuse happens, but, but even that often has like, um, brain chemistry balance or, you know, uh, trauma injuries to the brain that need to be addressed in therapy. But I think there's a strong misconception that it's all spiritual and, and it's not. For some reason, it's like when it's any other body part, we're fine with like, I'm diabetic, so I'm going to take my insulin. But it's like if you have a chemical imbalance in your brain or you have uh, the effects of trauma, like like scientists have uncovered in all the way, like not all the ways, but a lot of the ways that it affects the brain. And like you can look at an MRI, which I'm sure you know of someone who's gone through trauma and someone who hasn't and their brains look completely different. Yeah. But we still have that hang up like, you know, somehow we're sinning by telling people that, it, you know, it's OK if you have a mental health issue or if you have an issue with trauma from your past and you need to get help for that. So, yeah, that's definitely a change that I would love to see in the church as well. Yeah. So um, we're going to wrap up here soon, but I want to ask you another question, Ashley, because I know that you yourself have gone through profound healing as a survivor of abuse yourself. And I just want to know, do you have any tips or tricks or secrets for uh, people who find themselves navigating that journey toward healing um, as survivors? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that come together with that. Number one, I would say get a good trauma therapist. Um, just a regular family therapist probably isn't going to cut it. Somebody who's actually specialized in trauma therapy will, um, make a big difference. So that's, that's a big deal taking care of yourself that way. I also think just removing yourself from the abusive situations, realizing that that may mean that you have to cut off some relationships and some ties that has been very difficult for me and very painful in the beginning, but ultimately I realized that I couldn't heal if I stayed in the environment that was hurting me um, or if I stayed in relationships that were hurting me. And so finding a way and sometimes depending on the danger of the relationship, you may need professional support getting out of it, but removing yourself from the toxicity so you can heal being in support with other survivors is a big deal because as soon as you realize like you're not alone and there's tons of people going through this, the, the feeling of, oh my goodness, I feel crazy or I feel like something's wrong with me, that starts to dissolve the more you're around people who also get it, around people who have experienced similar things but have you know moved forward in their healing. That gives you hope. I know this is just a practical tip and it's just one of the tips that I teach in my uh, coaching courses. Uh, right now I have a coaching course called uh, Advocate Edge. This is for advocates, but I'm um, thinking of offering one specifically for survivors. But anyway, limiting beliefs. Survivors have so many limiting beliefs that have been told to us by abusers and they've been pounded into our heads that we aren't worthy or that we can't change, we can't heal. We can't live up to our full potential. And I know it it sounds trivial, but affirmations, like morning and evening affirmations have changed my life. Where I feel unworthy, you know, I'll write an affirmation on my affirmation board like, I am worthy. Like, I am strong. I'm kind. I'm capable. I'm smart. I'm loved. I'm enough. And at first, when you recite those self to, those things to yourself in the morning and night, you might not believe it yet. But there's actually science behind it. It can begin to change your brain until you come to a point where you actually believe that. And when you actually feel those affirmations you're telling yourself, 
when you actually believe the things you're telling yourself, then you feel those things. And then you're able to, you know, experience life in a different way when you feel and believe them. So that's something simple you can do. Find a limiting limiting belief that you have or a lie an abuser told you. Write the positive opposite of it and recite it to yourself once a day for like 30 days and see how it changes your brain, <laughs> how it rewires things. And I would say that that's how I've, one of the many ways that I've achieved some success is just ridding myself of a lot of those limiting beliefs that wanted to keep me small and not be effective and not heal. That's really big. I, the whole affirmation thing, like it was really hard for me at the beginning because, you know, I've always kind of scoffed at things like that. And then part of it is just a self-loathing. It's like almost like that you're not worthy of even spending that much time on yourself or you're saying positive things about yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. But it is huge, like what it does and the changes that, that you see just from saying to yourself what the truth actually is, because it's whatever, whatever allowing ourselves to believe. Yeah. And if you want to put a Christian spin on it, like if you want to see where that's kind of affirmed in the Bible, like what about the verses about renewing your mind? Like this is a practice of actually renewing and changing your mind, rewiring it. And For sure. I feel like there's a, there's a lot of scriptural basis for things like meditation and affirmations and things like that. You know, some people get scared because I mean, I'm sure that in your upbringing, similar to mine, everything is like new age garbage and you can't right. like, <laughs> you can't like everything is off limits, but which is like, it's actually science. science. And you could like look in scripture and it's like, see, even God knew we needed to do this and he's telling us and you're scared of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate so much um, you taking the time to chat with us, Ashley. And I'm sure that if if you are willing that someday we're going to have you on the show again, because I know we have a lot of stuff that we could talk about for a long time related to all of this. But I just want to remind our listeners that you can find Ashley at ashleyeaster.com. And the Courage Conference, which is going to be in Orlando, is coming up. October 25th and 26th. And I cannot wait for that. And that's pretty amazing. And it's the courageconference.com. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So I'm going to link to your website and to the Courage Conference. Everything's going to be in the show notes so everybody can find all of the things about Ashley. There are so many and all of them are awesome. So I I feel like you probably don't sleep. Is it like an hour or two a night? <laughs> No, I actually sleep about nine hours, but I just, um, I don't know. I, my husband's very helpful. My husband's very helpful. We're a team. <laughs> That's why you're taking over the world, Ashley, because you sleep nine hours a night. Like if science has been telling us that too, like we need to sleep more and none of us listen and you're listening and look at everything that you're accomplishing. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go to bed at like 7 PM every night to get nine hours in, but I'm going to do my best. So Thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you so much. This is fun. Okay. So as I mentioned, all of the links to Ashley and everything she's doing are in the show notes. And if you are heading to the Courage Conference, I definitely want to know so I can see you and hug your neck. I am going to be there all three days, October 25th, 26th, and 27th. And I would absolutely love to see you there. So I'll make sure you check the show notes to find out more about the Courage Conference and more about Ashley. And I probably need to apologize to my dad real quick because 
uh, when Ashley was talking about her upbringing and her grandfather's being independent, fundamental Baptist preachers, I was like, oh yeah, you know, same upbringing here because so was my dad, which he was. I do not, however, refer to my upbringing as being in a cult necessarily. I think Ashley's experience with that is a little different than mine was. While we definitely dealt with a lot of what I refer to as legalism in the Baptist church, and there are definitely some things that I don't necessarily agree with completely at this time, um, I'm thankful, so thankful that I have parents who pretty much were able to kind of steer clear of some of the real crazy stuff. I mean, we all have our stories to tell, but I thought, my goodness, um, if my dad ever listens to my podcast, which he might not, but he's going to hear me say, yeah, yeah, totally. I was raised in a cult too. My dad was a Baptist pastor. (laughs) Not what I meant. The good news for me though is I don't think my dad is ever going to listen to this podcast. He literally said to me the other day, I'm like, so uh, dad, you haven't listened to any of my three and a half podcast episodes yet I noticed and he's like can you just can you just tell me the podcast (laughs) like you want me to sit here and just tell you all the things or maybe you could just click on that purple podcast app on your iPhone or your iPad or any of your i things and you could listen but Ah, supportive father. That's 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 who he is. We have got a great episode coming up for you again next week, and I'm excited for it. And I want to thank you again for for tuning in, for not being like my dad and making me just tell you the podcast, but actually listening. Um, and if you would leave a review on iTunes, that'd be awesome. Rate the show. Let me know what you think. And I'd love to hear from you too. Kelly at SurvivorSanctuary.com is where you can email me. Or if you go to Facebook.com slash Survivor Sanctuary, you can send me a message right there. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your day. And I will catch you next time here on Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.